got a lot to say about the world I occupy every day. But when I say what's on my mind, I find I piss people off. You're listening to What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revelationary times. I'm Joy Damiani. I'm Sarah Baranowskis. And on this episode, our guest is the wonderful and hilarious Kate Willett, a comedian, actress, and writer whose raunchy feminist storytelling is both smart and relatable. She's the author of the Audible original, Dirtbag Anthropology. She just made her network debut on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and she has a 15-minute special on Netflix's comedy lineup. She's a co-host of the political comedy podcast, Reply Guys. Like, I, I still really like writing jokes making fun of like misogynistic bs or whatever but i'm probably less compelled to talk about feminism than i used to be um when it was like was maybe not as uh i don't know not as ubiquitous right because unfortunately like the brand of feminism that has really been popularized is very you know very corporate even more of that in just a minute but First, if you have been enjoying what you've been hearing on this podcast, please do us just a quick tiny little favor. Give us five stars on iTunes, follow us, subscribe, or um, even if you have like an entire minute, you can even leave us a review um, wherever you listen and we will somehow receive it. We'll see it and we'll love you extra. Soon we'll have a Patreon and we'll be able to, you know, create fun little segments where we thank you by name and make you feel as special as you make us feel when you listen. Now to get us started, here's Kate Willett with her network television debut on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> so I've been trying to stop dating immature guys. I moved to the top of a hill so that it would be harder to skateboard up there. <laughs> I was hooking up with this one guy for a little while, maybe like six years. <laughs> During that time, he would tell me not to get emotional. But then he would also constantly confide in me about how his dad left when he was a little boy. And I tried to be supportive, but around year four of that, I just really started to see why the dad took off. (laughs) I think that shaming promiscuous women is a very big problem in our culture and A lot of it is coming from my mom. (laughs) She'll say things like, Kate, I think it's really sad that women your age hook up with these loser guys who just leave. And I'm like, Mom, I think it's a lot better than the days when women hooked up with loser guys who just stayed. Now, a crappy guy, you know, he only wants you for one thing, but back in my mom's day, they also wanted you to do dishes. 
People used to get married way too young. If I got married when I was 20, like my mom did, I would be married to a dude right now because at some point he just had weed. <laughs> on the upside, like we'd save money on the wedding because he'd absolutely already be a DJ. <laughs> but I am very glad that things have changed. If this was 40 years ago, I would not be doing stand-up right now. I would probably be married to some kind of deadbeat, alcoholic dude, and I'm not, because I was lucky enough to be born in a time where most deadbeat alcoholic dudes are not really looking to commit. <laughs> and I know that, because I have tried really hard. So how's your apocalypse going, Kate Willett? <laughs> um, it's been a wild ride, you know? It's been uh, I've had many, many phases, actually, of the coronavirus pandemic. And this seems like it's the last one of the pandemic, but I don't know. It, yeah, it is. It's kind of starting to feel like everything is, is slowly, like, flopping back into whatever weird normalcy we had going on. Yeah, it's like I'm I'm laughing because these so what happened to, one thing a big thing that happened in the quarantine for me is that I adopted two cats and then a roommate moved in, a different roommate than I had at the beginning of the pandemic because if beginning of the pandemic both people I was living with they went moved home to their respective states. So oh. I looked for new roommates when I met two great people, uh, but one of my roommates also had a cat, so there's three cats living here right now. There were no cats at the beginning, but then, now outside on the fire escape, there are two more cats that I don't know who they own, but all of the cats that live in this apartment have united against the cats outside the window and they're like having <laughs> a standoff over there. And it's funny because, uh, to, so like one of my cats doesn't really get along with my roommate's cat, but they're like working together to beat this outside cat. So it's just like a lot, it's a complicated <laughs> dynamic. Yeah. That's, I guess the way that my pandemic is going is that I now, talk about shit like this like drama with the cats <laughs> i mean it's like superimposed right like it's it's political drama still it's just in cat form so yes. sarah and i uh, you know we metaphorize cat her by the way this is sarah i just nice realized you, how rude of me <laughs> this is sarah this is kate um now you both are meeting each other in time to talk about the end times yeah and cats and tarot which is like right in my wheelhouse so i'm like I just have one of them, but she is sleeping over there. Aw, little You may get up and demand to go out, and she's Aww. the boss, so. <laughs> it's, More. no, they're so cute. Cats are, like, they're, they're just the best. They are just, it's, it, it adds so much to life to have a little pet snuggling yeah. with you all the time. It's great. What do your cats look like? I promise we won't just talk about cats. <laughs> Um, Other well, I was trying too. to see if they could get them to walk by, but they're two little tuxedo cats. Aww. One black and white tuxedo, one gray and white tuxedo. Aww. And then my roommate's cat, also a tuxedo. So there's three tuxedo cats that live here, and they're very cute. Normal nice. cats. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, it's, they're just, they all have like super different personalities than each other. Pearl, the gray one, is like very, very, very arrogant. 
she's like a little queen. And then Albert, <laughs> her brother, is like a human baby. Like he like cries until you pick him up and hold him and comfort him. It's really weird. It's like not a he's not a normal cat. <laughs> he sounds kind of dog cat ish. Yeah, he's no, he's definitely a puppy cat. He plays fetch and shit. Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah. How many species can be non binary? Yeah. <laughs> I've met a few pets that I feel are non binary. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> what a all right well here we are in like the yeah like the sort of hopefully final-ish phase of pandemic and um gigs are starting to slowly come back here and there but like that's all well and good but I I think we are both really more interested in the creative ways you have adapted over the course of this phase of the apocalypse um because I know you've had you've gone through a whole lot of life changes I mean just in the last year as we all have but um especially being a comic you know being a woman in a male dominated industry is already a thing that is a hell of a barrier, but being in comedy and doing a lot of opinionating about politics is a whole other world. So, um, yeah, yeah. The question, how have you adapted Kate <laughs> or whatever? I, I don't even want to say like it's an at past tense. How are you coping, dear? <laughs> um, You know, I definitely at first it was like really challenging to n- not do live shows. I'm so bummed out. And now it's, you know, kind of like I found like some other I, like I got into other kinds of writing. Like I wrote a book last year, which was really fun. Um, but I also was, um, what was I going to say? Yeah. So I guess like finding other outlets for creativity, but then now that stand up is coming back a little bit, like it's weird because I'm having like all these feelings like, oh, I'm going to like have to like try to like, you know, send like emails to book myself on stuff. And then I was like, what if someone rejects me? And then, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, I used to like be like I had, was at complete peace with that feeling I literally did not care it was and All the so time. yeah it's just like kind of weird to be like oh now I have to actually shift back into the the stand-up comedy mentality which is like honestly maybe not like super healthy all the time you know so right yeah (laughs) it's very similar in other areas of entertainment as you know like I've definitely done a lot of questioning of like is this system actually the, the system we want yeah like yeah I don't so you you wrote a book um and I feel like that is, like, you know, one of the things that all of, like, the positivity people at the beginning of the pandemic were like, you can write a book. And you were all like, okay. So Well, I already <laughs> had a, I had already contracted to write a book. And I was, oh, supposed to, I was supposed to write this book in 2019. <laughs> so well, this, this book was a big thing because it was it, – it, it, so I was writing – a book. Uh, it was about masculinity, and one thing I was writing about was this relationship that I was in, and then the man that I was writing about, like unexpectedly, like died, 
and this is not to be a complete bummer on the podcast, but then it was just like, okay, what am I writing about now? Uh, this book is really going to change. And actually, like, my editor was, like, extremely understanding about, like, hey, we're, the timeline on this needs to be pushed back a little bit. But I, like, just so, you know, uh, I kind of started writing the book in the last few months of 2019, but definitely the majority of it was written in 2020, and it was uh, it was really good to like have something to work on with with deadlines because I don't know if I would have been able to just like be like I'm writing a book you know without some external accountability that is really hard in the pandemic always but especially in the pandemic you know yeah oh my goodness. Like oversight, lack lack of oversight is um, is a real like finish line killer. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, and if your book is called Dirtbag Anthropology, correct? Yes. Okay. Cool. I'm always afraid to say the names of people's things on the podcast because I'm like, am I gonna say it wrong? I'll like get it right in my head. Everyone says it wrong. Everyone is like. Dirtbag anthology, dirtbag anthropologist, uh, scum, you know, scumbag anthropologist. Like, there's, it's like a name that people are just kind of constantly getting wrong, but you got it right, actually. So, wow. See, that's, that's what the self critical thing will do. It'll make you get it right every time. <laughs> no, don't tell the self critic that. Um, so I'm glad that I got it right. I've, I am really, um, like I'm stoked that that you made it happen and thank I, you yeah like so now that it's done do you want to what do you feel like the the shape that it took like you, what kind of journey did that end up being like you know you it clearly wasn't what you thought it was going to be um I really liked I really liked how it turned out in the end of the day like um it's kind of so the it's an audiobook so it's like kind of half memoir half podcast uh not half podcast but there are like interviews with people in it um both you know experts and also people in my life the whole thing's on the topic of masculinity but you know it's mostly a memoir about like what my own relationship with men and masculinity has been but it's also like uh, kind of a the interviews were a really like important part of in part of it. I did a lot of those interviews in 2019 not all of them but a lot of them um and I started with the interviews um and then kind of wrote the book incorporating them um but yeah no I mean I felt like I you know made something that felt like really personal to me and it was I think it was really cool to to get to do it because it, like with stand up there's like a, a layer of artifice like cuz one because everything you know has to be funny right like that's that is what makes stand up stand up um right. but that, like, that little thing <laughs> yeah like I'm sometimes jealous of musicians cuz I'm like you can like write a song about like how you love someone or whatever you know but like with stand up it's just like you got to 
it, it, it's just like it has to be funny. And so yeah, there are a lot of parts of this book that are funny, but it also goes some other places emotionally. And that was like a very cool thing for me to get to have after like, you know, mostly not being able to experiment with that. Yeah. Yeah, the like the yes and sort of like I think there is a lot more space these days um, for for artists in one you know area to sort of be multiplicitous you know and to have um, to have like what you're saying like many layers like yeah you're funny but like um, to also be able to go a little bit deeper down to like why essentially like. The reason why people who are funny are funny is usually because some shit has, has happened. Right? Yeah, <laughs> totally. So it's great to, yeah, I, I that's wonderful that you were able to like actually access that and and delve into it and like, you know, actually do the thing that we all talk about doing and like learn lessons from past relationships. <laughs> in a way. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, well, it I like? mean. I don't know because it's like here's the here's the thing that I've been thinking about a lot. Learning from past relationships, um here's the thing that I've been thinking about a lot, which is that self-awareness does not actually necessarily mean anything about like your choices, right? Like so like, I feel like I'm very aware of, like, what my bad pattern is in relationships, like, liking, you know, men who are a little bit on the, you know, unavailable side. It's, it's like, pretty much always goes the same way. Like, you know, I meet a guy and he's kind of got, like, this distant, guarded, mis- mysterious thing and I'm very attracted to to that in him and that like you know super kind of intense independence and then like he's really attracted to the fact that like I'm like warm and open and vulnerable and then we like love that we're opposite but then we date and become really frustrated with the fact that (laughs) I want more emotional engagement and he wants more space and and it happens again and again and you know I, I mean I know that but I'm going out with someone like that, like tonight, and I'm I'm so excited about it. He's really cute, you know. So, I don't know. I mean, like theoretically, I hope you know at some point to. Like, I think that if I like ever have a you know super long term partnership, it will not probably meet this template. But it's just awareness, lessons learned. It doesn't necessarily amount to anything being different, unless you're like, I'm ready to, like, stop doing, you know, my survival mechanisms, my defenses. Like, I'm going to to knock it off. But sometimes we're not ready to knock it off or, you know, it's (laughs) not as much fun, right? (laughs) So I don't know. You definitely don't get as many good jokes out of knocking it off. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I'm just really, like, trying to not, like – Every time I'm like, oh, man, it'd be so funny if I date this guy. Those are the ones where I'm always like, but I'm actually crying. I'm actually crying. Yeah. 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 We were just talking before you jumped on about, you know, traits. I, I was like, I've been I've not been writing silly enough songs lately. 
Um, I've, I've been way too philosophical lately, and I've just been needing to delve into silliness. And we were talking about the traits that people can suddenly display that can turn them from sexy to not um, very quickly. And uh, I feel like it's it's that sort of um, it's that sort of you're you're just kind of like you know experimenting with all of the ways to do things um impractically until <laughs> until we talk ourselves into being slightly smarter mm-hmm. yeah in my case i feel like i just have to let things run out and get tired it's like a, letting a tired kid just run around a track <laughs> until they're like wear themselves out it's like you're just going to keep doing this until you get tired of it and at some point yeah, i just like am the observer and that's eventually things will peter out. It was a total coincidence to me that Joy knew you because I've been a big fan of yours on Twitter, um, especially oh, during you. the primaries last year. I felt very seen um, as another socialist feminist, and I appreciated how honest you were about your journey to get there. And, you know, you referenced your partner that had passed away. I assume that was who wrote that really amazing yeah. piece about the... Um, We'll link to it, but it was a, I loved it, burn, or I hated Bernie Bros until I lost one, or something like that. Um, so I just really appreciate that you put that out there, and I know you've talked a lot about that journey, and I don't want to necessarily rehash the heartbreak of last year, but um, it's like how, where do you find maybe the difficulties in sort of articulating this position of being like a socialist feminist? So I, you know, I mean, like. <sighs> For a comedian, for a comedian, it's like a, a little bit. The, the difficulty, I think, people don't. You know, a lot of people like don't want to hear like political jokes, especially mm-hmm. not anymore. You know, yeah. now that we're kind of like out of the election season. But like, what's even more than that is like definitely anything that's like very like uh, left or you know anti-capitalist. Uh, mm-hmm. radical really in any way like that's like the opposite of like what gets people jobs in comedy right, right. so it's not like you know it's it's a fine it's a fine line right because mm-hmm. it's like I you know I would love to write for a late night show or whatever and also there's like no late night show that like has politics that are even marginally similar to mine right so I don't know and it there's and comedy is like a very uh I'm gonna say it's a very it's a very lib industry (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) all of entertainment really is but there's a lot of focus on like you know changing the world via like you know getting better representation in writers rooms and I do think that it's important to have representation in writers rooms uh but I don't like think that that is going to be like you know the path that affects like most people's lives like most people will never be tv writers you know um Mm -hmm. and it's it can be a little like hard to I don't know It, it can be a little hard to like to talk to people that are very like kind of into this idea of, uh, like, you know, justice by making one person or, like, ten people, like, extremely rich, you know, like, about, like, socialism, because it's just, like, not, it's not, like, sexy or glamorous, you know, but, I, yeah, it's just, you know, the politics that I have, I, 
I only know like five comedians like who have those same politics and honestly had sex with most of them and <laughs> yeah I mean that the, there is a magnetism there like right. oh you're my brand of, laugh analysis of laugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, I'm kind of kidding but also not like you know. <laughs> there's there's the world we live in yeah. yeah. Class analysis, but make it funny. <laughs> it's such a challenge. Yeah, it's not really that funny, right? It kind of is, but, but but there's a lot of things about, like, socialism that can be funny, like making fun of billionaires. I mean, there's, like, yeah. so many, so many billionaires. But I, like, I really liked making fun of libs. Like, that was something that I kind of got into during the primary of, like, because, oh, yeah. like, especially, like, with the, like, Warren people, there was, like, there's a really weird, like, toxic kind of like girl boss on steroids feminism that was happening and it was like it felt like so sick and weird but yeah Yeah. I really pissed people off like in my I pissed like comedians off with that because that was like Warren standing was like practically a requirement for being a comedian so that was that sucked I don't know I try sometimes it's like if I think of a really funny joke about liberals then I'll tweet it but if it's like just a medium funny joke sometimes I don't want to because it's just gonna like ruin my day with like people <laughs> I actually know being really mad at me <laughs> whereas if you make fun of like Republicans or something like everyone's like fuck yeah you know yeah oh my goodness yeah I think I we can both like- relate to that <laughs> at least from oh, Facebook right. <laughs> It's constant, and I honestly, I I felt, like, very seen by your refusal to Warren Stan, um, because it was, it was very few voices, especially very few women voices, very few women comics, women performers, like, it would, it was like pulling teeth to get any woman performer to say anything bad about, um, you know, and not that I was I was pulling those teeth, but like even on social media where the consequences are slightly different. It, it's, yeah. It was like if you were not willing to um, if you weren't willing to Warren stand, then you were anti everything. Women. Yeah. Women. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I can't live in this. It, it's been such a polarizing several years even more so than usual but I was like really her this is the one you're gonna yeah I mean it's just it was weird too because it was like a test of wokeness like if you stand Warren like and I was like wait how are we in this situation where like the test of whether you're woke uh you know like an and or like an an anti-racist woman like is if you stand a white woman who literally spent a huge chunk of her life pretending to be a woman of color. Like, this right. is, like, it's, this is completely un, a, a really strange phenomenon, you know? Yeah. Like, like the blinders are incredible. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I don't know. I just think that the, the particular, like Bernie bros or whatever got like, you know, a lot of there's that, that issue uh, or non-issue has, mm-hmm. you know, a, gotten a lot of airtime but there was definitely something very weird going on with like the online war and stuff and it did get really toxic you know (laughs) it's weird yeah yeah aggressively like white women aggressively shutting down you know indigenous women activists on twitter to prove how woke they were was some of the most 
mind-pretzeling things I think I've witnessed on social media. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, this the article just came out last week. Uh, and it was, like, I think, I don't know what the article was, but I saw that, like, Jayapal, Pramila Jayapal had, like, um, said that, you know, when she endorsed Bernie Sanders, um, Elizabeth Warren had, like, questioned her feminism and it's like, okay, Pramila Jayapal, like, she is the author of the House Medicare for All bill, or one of the mm-hmm. co-authors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if, I, I'm not sure if she wrote the whole bill or if there is a co-author. It's a piece of information that I forgot. But anyway, she's at least one of the authors, maybe the whole author. Um, it's obvious that Medicare for All is a big deal to her. You know, it's like her key issue she's going on tv all the time to you know speak about it and right. um i mean it, it makes complete sense to shoot bernie sanders because he has yeah. a long history of fighting for that issue um right. and you know just like we have this like white woman elizabeth warren like telling a woman of color that you know she's not feminist enough or something because you, you know she's not you know standing one super wealthy white woman who doesn't align with her values you know and i do think that people are becoming like increasingly annoyed with that kind of feminism and this but it's still like uh, still really alive and well like particularly in like kamala harris you know yeah. yeah thank you oh my goodness that's a whole conversation too i got a lot of anger the day after the election and all you did <laughs> but i mean yeah yeah kamala harris sucks so bad and her policies have been like her policies and her like you know like particularly like over the course of her career like you know she has like really hurt a lot of black and brown people and people bring that up and you know are sometimes called like racist for right. noting that like Kamala Harris is, is responsible for putting a lot of black and brown people in jail you know yeah I mean I was told I was shitting on black joy when I said I I couldn't be happy about Kamala Harris and I was like really you know I don't I know well enough to like like I realize people want representation matters. I get it. I do get that. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, And like, however, comma, like you have to look at the whole person. And I think a real feminist looks at the whole person. Well, and and then what's the impact of like that person? Like who is, I think that like, you know, I think it's- What is that person doing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, who, you know, who are they, who are they helping? Who are they hurting? And it's like, to me, that is much more like pertinent to- feminism than like the elevation of one particular woman you know right we don't want to tokenize ourselves we don't want anyone else to tokenize themselves yeah and i'm conscious about like you know like i totally i i understand i understand like it is i i used to feel really annoyed with the way that i felt like leftists could be sort of dismissive of representation and i mean here's the thing i think that it's like it's not that, like, society will be, like, fixed by, uh, 
by, you know, having, like, representation alone, but it is a sign of, like, a deeply racist and sexist society. It's one sign of that, that, like, mm-hmm. you know, definitely, like, the, the halls of power, to, you know, at, uh, are, like, mostly white guys, right? So, right. I don't know. Like, it's... It has some... It, it's an issue with, like, complexity and... um you know, it's just, it's unfortunate because the internet doesn't really, like, have that. And what I think annoys me most about all these conversations is, like, a lot of the time, like, you see discussions online with, like, you know, white people being, like, it's racist to criticize Kamala Harris, like, like as, as if there are no black leftists or something as if like it's just really weird you know like you know yeah it's ignoring a whole group of voices yeah exactly like I didn't come up with Kamala Harris not being good uh not not being a a a helpful politician out I didn't come up with that out of the air like I came up with that from listening to the voices of the people further left than I was saying the, the things that you just said, you know, and, and, and calling attention to her record on incarceration and criminalization of parents, of, you know, kids who weren't at school, you know, like th- things like that um, actually do matter to our society. And like, okay, so before we go like too deep down, like, um, like a things that are wrong with the current system <laughs> whole. Um, I would love to, since you mentioned it at the beginning, you both have your tarot situations there. Can we like tarot about the matriarchy? Because I feel like we don't do enough talking about like what the matriarchy is look looks like. The matriarchy, like in the future, yeah, like a and the, the and like the present. Yeah, and like the the utopia that's currently being built, like because it doesn't actually need the patriarchal to, patriarchy, bleh, it doesn't need the patriarchy to crumble first. It's already coming up, you know. Like we're creating it by being like, let's let's stop like debating and like, like talk about um, talk about our intuition. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Let me go get my tarot cards. They're on the other side of the room. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Can I get mine? Yeah. Get them. All right. I'm going to get mine. I don't really Excellent. have a place to spread them out, but I'll try to figure something out. <laughs> I'm excited about this. Yeah. While t- Tara, uh, Tara, Sarah Hello. is getting her tarot deck. Okay. And while she's doing that, um, I, I feel like this ties in. Um, a friend of mine who is a big, a big fan of yours was, was asking me if I could, if I could ask you to, to provide a couple of additional signs that a man has been, um, has been worked on, uh, aside from conditioner. (laughs) Has been worked on. Has been worked on. Like a woman that has made his life better made him a better yeah, partner that, exactly you, you know yeah. exactly um okay i mean it's you know to me like the biggest sign that like i would like to me like my little screener for like emotional maturity like the of the type that uh people often learn in relationships um you know i just like empathetic listening you know like can the person like validate your feelings like especially you know even if 
uh, you don't see something exactly the same way. You know, can they be mm-hmm. can they be validating? Can they do the thing where, you know, they uh, get you know get to the essence of what you're saying and just you know like a really good listener. That's the biggest one. You know, uh, fantastic. Yeah. All right, that's a solid, clear sign. All right, and I feel like that 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 is exactly the the energy we should be we can be bringing into this the next segment that we're just starting (laughs) called tarot segment. Tarot tarot segment. Yeah. Okay, so I'm supposed to draw a tarot card about the matriarchy. Um. Yeah. Do we want to like come up with a question? Yeah, ask a question, and then I'll draw. Should we verbalize it, or should we just come up with it? I don't. No, I'm, definitely verbalize it. Yeah. Okay, let's verbalize. Um, Sarah, also feel free to um, to to jump in with quite. Let's see. Okay, cool. My we'll question see. would be along the lines of, how do we recognize the signs that the matriarchy is already um, growing in power? Okay. So, let me see. This is a very weird card for this. I need to think about this for a minute. Um, Okay. I got the reverse page of wands. I'm not even sure that I remember what that one means. I'm going to look it up. Page of Thrones, like, messengers, so... Yeah, I mean, you know, wands often has to do with spirituality, creativity. Okay, all right. So here, I'm looking at the meanings of the reverse page of wands, and it's saying uh, redirecting energy, self-limiting beliefs, a spiritual path. So, you know, to the point of how to recognize the, the... matriarchy uh is already happening you know i would say this card would be like you know saying kind of like looking for it like in our own life and our own you know spiritual journey like you know Mm. in what ways like could we sort of feel like i don't know like it's okay to express our own feminine energy you know um and yeah i don't know um i think that's what that's what it's that's what i got i like that i did another draw because um eight of wands (laughs) so more wands energy yeah this is an interesting card because i think it's the only one at least on the smithway deck that doesn't have a figure on it it's just got the wands so um, mm-hmm. I was thinking this card was being about movement. So kind of, you know, getting into that page energy too about sort of, you know, this like the wands are fire and fire can be about will too. So, you know, about will, like the will that we work in this world to create things in this world. So yeah, just like keep working that will, ladies. Nice. Eight <laughs> of wands energy. Yeah. That's awesome. Or it looks like a bunch of dicks flying at you. I don't know. I was going to say, this looks like some big <laughs> wand energy right there. I mean, there's some big-ass wands, so, you know. Yeah, big wand energy in the matriarchy, creativity, and flowing energy, and, you know, swinging of wands. okay so like full disclosure i started this morning like talking to middle school kids about military recruitment um 
which is a thing that periodically I get invited to do to be like, hey, tell the Don't kids. Don't do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or just <laughs> tell them all the things that are real that the recruiters aren't telling them. And, yeah, and, and um, you know, take their questions and stuff. So, like, I've been interacting with, like, young kids on, like, that kind of level. But even, like, I don't know, I've just been feeling old lately. And I feel like even 21-year-olds are, like, in a whole other, like, world than I am sometimes. And, like, growing up in, in like, a world where, like, feminism is in the mainstream conversation these days. Like, the, it's it's a topic that they hear regularly. Like, yeah. has it changed your comedy at all? Like, like dealing, knowing that you're talking to audiences of a totally different frame of reference than, like, when we grew up? Um... Yeah, I, you know, it's kind of a weird thing because, like, with regard to feminism specifically, uh, the fact that it is so mainstreamed now, like, the version of it that is mainstreamed, I actually, I really don't identify with, you know? Um, Same. And, yeah. and so I don't know. I guess in some ways I, I feel, you know, I still have, like, I, I still really like writing jokes making fun of like misogynistic bs or whatever but i'm probably less compelled to talk about feminism than i used to be um when it was like was maybe not as uh i don't know not as ubiquitous right because unfortunately like the brand of feminism that has really been popularized is very you know very corporate you know yeah it's just sort of co-opted to recreate the same structures, but with women yeah, exactly. at the top. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. So maybe there's opportunities to sort of, again, kind of getting back to that comedy challenge conversation of trying to engage yeah. with the conversation in a funny yeah, way and totally, offer something yeah. different. I used to feel like a, a certain, like, aggression if you're if you're expected to be funny and you're too vulnerable, right? And I feel like there's less of a... Um, less of an expectation of of uh, funny people to only be funny than there maybe was like when I felt like I was first starting out have you do you feel like that is um is that your experience too and if so like how is it manifested in your world well I think what you're talking about the like you know funny people are just funny and like there is not um there's not like you know real kind of other elements of vulnerability allowed. I definitely think that that culture is still alive and well in a segment of comedy. The thing is, is there's so many like types of comedy now, and the internet has kind of created this thing where there's like fewer like big huge stars, but there's you know also like people can find their audience. So you know there's a lot of comedy that is. He's like very, you know, very squishy, very vulnerable. Like, um, and you know, I think that it's like it's just it's easy. I don't know. So I I would I I think the thing that you're talking about like that still exists. It's just that like because the internet allows people to kind of connect with their own audience. Like, there's also many other things that exist now too. Yeah, it's like a wilderness that you yeah. can sort of yeah. forage in. <laughs> Speaking of witchiness. Yeah, and wilderness, as we've been trying to do with this pod. Um, 
I think you guys do a really great job on Reply Guys of kind of bringing in politicians. And I know you're, you know, New York City, I saw you've been talking a lot about the mayoral race and things like that. So I didn't know if you had anything you wanted to kind of talk about there for listeners that might be in New York or that might be aware that there might not be aware that there are candidates besides Andrew Yang <laughs> in the race. Yeah, I mean, like the main thing that I wish, you know, more people understood, and I think people are starting to, is that Andrew Yang is not progressive. Like he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's like... Tech, tech bro. Basically. Yeah, I mean, but like even mm-hmm. worse, you know, he's really bad on the issue of policing, really bad on the issue of surveillance, um, very pro charter school, uh, very, um, you know, it's just, I think be, because he made a name for himself with like UBI during the presidential race, a lot of people thought like, oh yeah, this guy is like pretty left, you know, and. <laughs> He's not like the one of the main points of his UBI program was like to cut like social service spending. Right. So I don't know. I guess just like I I just I really hope that people do not fall for it and, you know, vote for Andrew Yang because they think that he's someone that he's not. Yeah. Diane Morales is the one to go for. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We haven't actually talked that much about your podcast. Do you? I feel like when did you first start doing it? It was like when two I first saw you. Yeah, it was, yeah, about two years ago was around the time when um, I started. I think really listening to podcasts more regularly, and um, you, the two of you, have a really good rapport. And yeah, and I would love to. You know, what do you feel like is your um, your favorite thing to to kind of do uh, with your podcast uh favorite thing to do with the podcast you know it's definitely really fun to get to like learn about stuff like I mean we're you know we're interviewing experts and a lot of the time you know I don't I don't always know a ton about the topics that we're interviewing people (laughs) so it's very cool to get to learn about stuff from very, very, very smart people. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite thing to do, I guess, you know? We did that a lot. This summer we had some people on that were, like, you know, really had been, like, people from uh, the tenants movement, um, abolitionists, um, you know, people who have uh, expertise on, like, the really creepy surveillance that, you know, DHS and NYPD is doing. Yeah, it's it's really cool to get to to talk to people that you know have been working on the on the thing that they're working on for a really long time. Yeah, there's a wealth of knowledge out and out around us. That's a that's the thing that I super much love about this work about this podcast as well. And I feel like it's like one of the ways we were talking with the reformed whores a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I love them. They're so funny. Yeah, they're the best. And we were talking about how, um, how a sort of internet utopia would, would kind of look like the, the YouTube of your, when, um, when there was just like a lot more egalitarianism with, with creativity. And I feel like podcasts are kind of occupying, um, a lot of the space that YouTube channels used to more when it was just like the, all of a sudden there was a flood and the pandemic has, has opened it up to all seeing, having access to all of these brilliant workers and thinkers and everything. Um, 
yeah. The, there was another, there was another thread that I was going to pull, but I'll let Sarah talk first. I was going to say, I have to let the cat out real quick. Then I will talk. (laughs) Mwah. Cool. Yeah, I mean. The cat's so cute. Her cat is like our, I, I feel like you're. I'm not, I don't know know if she can hear me right now. I can hear like you. Her cat, yeah. Your your cat is like my cat, very therapy cat vicariously. Yeah, well, because I'm always That's sending you pictures of what my cat's doing, such as when she laid down in protest when I tried to put her on her cat leash to go for a walk. Cat leash? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, yeah. It seems pretend, but wow. Yeah. Well, because I just went to this apartment complex and I don't have like a closed off outdoor space. So, and it's in more of an urban area than I was in before. Yeah. So I'm trying to like figure out a way for her to get to go outside. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, But she laid down in protest as if she was blocking a a pipeline or something. Little baby. (laughs) Yeah. Cats are more like people than dogs, for sure. I mean, I I would definitely lie down and protest if someone put a leash on me. Right. Wow. I thought it was going to go well. It was very cute. It had a skull and crossbones on it. So she looked like a little pirate. But Yeah, I was thinking about something you said earlier just about, you know, sort of there is this kind of tendency to be reductive, whether it's on the left to be class reductive or libs being identity reductive. I think one of the projects we're trying to do here on this podcast, um, sometimes trying being the operative word, is sort of try to pull those threads together into like a yes and. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if you think there, there is there a space for that on social media or is the medium just not conducive to having those kind of nuanced conversations and, at all? Uh, I don't know. It's I, I mean, uh, I, I want to say that the medium isn't really, you know, uh, conducive to having um, nuanced conversations because, like, these algorithms, like, prioritize, like, conflict, right? And, yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, like, um, if people are, you know, if you, it's, what happens is, like, you know, every day someone goes on Twitter and tweets something really stupid and outrageous and then you know a bajillion people quote quote tweeted or like look at how dumb this is and you know it's like that's so much of what we see um but just you know kind of like you know opinions that like are going to really piss people off or at least a segment of people and then you know kind of get get a lot of uh shares and retweets because of that but you know, it's if something's a little more like nuanced and reasonable, it's like often not gonna like, you know, incense people in the same way. Right. So yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, do you have any favorite guests who you think have maybe had a, a lot to say that was really needing to be heard, but maybe wasn't sensationalistic enough to to catch a lot of attention? I think you know a lot of our guests have been really 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 cool um trying to think of like particular things that like it was just not sensational enough to get a lot of attention um I mean I guess one issue that really comes to mind is like you know just like everything that has been um going on with like the the tenant movement 
you know, every really all across the, the country and like things that, you know, are happening with like housing activism, you know, it's I feel like a, a tide is is turning, you know, but yeah, it's there's not. I think that's an issue that, you know, it's not like like so one thing that is looking more likely in New York is that um, like if for the um, eviction moratorium, like for people who didn't pay rent, it's looking like it's looking like the city is going to maybe cover the back rent, which is great. Wow. So that's I don't think that's a done deal yet. But I mean, like that's, you know, that's a re- like that's, that's the result of like tons and tons and tons of work in the tenant movement. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people that is, you know, anything related to like housing stuff, it doesn't really get that much attention and, you know, mm. yeah. do you think that's because, uh, it's set to, it's set to precedent, you know, I mean, just like with the, um, you know, the labor movement, you know, tenants, tenants movements that, um, make successful victories of any kind, even if it's just unionizing in some way, um, much less getting a city to pay back rent, you know, when that gets out into, out into a lot of people's, um, awareness. Well, I mean, it just sets a, it sets a legal precedent first and foremost. And the more people know about that, the more people start demanding it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, well, that one is not like, that's not, that hasn't been like announced or anything, and I'm not. It's not like a hundred percent solid. I just mm-hmm. it's looking like that's the direction the things are gonna go mm-hmm. in. But um, yeah, I mean, really, any sort of like you know news that's like not that would not be advantageous to like corporations, like it's always depressed a little bit. But even in terms of like what people share and stuff, I think that people, you know, like in terms of like internet to, to, to debate, it like highly, highly favors like cultural stuff like I'd never want to hear the phrase cancel culture again in my life not because I don't think that there's like something to you know various aspects of of that like but it's just it's so boring like to me like Mm -hmm. it's just and like anything that has to do with like culture stuff like it just gets like talked to death and debated to death like whereas like a lot of like material stuff that affects people's lives a lot you know like it just it barely gets a mention, you know? Yeah. Well, it just kind of speaks to that whole bigger issue of, like, how our politics in this country, especially as represented by the two major parties, don't even feel like they're attached to anything real anymore. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that, you know, part of the thing is, like, people feel, I think, so disempowered about, like, making material changes through political means because you know mm-hmm. both parties are really bad on those issues you know so mm-hmm. maybe the the way that people feel like they can affect change is through culture stuff and you know it's just I think that that's part of the reason it gets discussed a lot more yeah and it's interesting to me too to think about like who has has the privilege and the time to have those conversations too yeah. you know and the nature of a lot of people's work isn't really the kind where they can sit on Twitter all day and, you know, argue about these things. And yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate appreciate the way you are. You have been really, like, 
consistently good at getting to sort of like the practical, um, like the practical truth in a situation in a way that I think a lot of political commentators definitely don't. A lot of comics kind of almost get there, but I feel like you just do a really good job of like cutting to the core of issues. And that is, um, you know, when, when you are able to do that, it really like kind of shatters some illusion. Do you, and, um, it's, you know, the illusion, you know, the illusion that either of these parties is really interested in taking care of people is sometimes something that can only really be effectively communicated through comedy, because otherwise it's, it's too terrifying. <laughs> like, oh, our government is run by sociopaths. Yes, yes, <laughs> I don't know. Do you feel like you've saved on therapy bills by being a comic? No, definitely not. I don't think that comedy has anything to do with therapy or, yeah. Maybe the, what I would like to see is, like, we look at the ways that we entertain each other as being separate from the ways that we, like, support each other's livelihood, like, as each other's lives, right? We look at, like, the arts as being separate from you know, health and education. And I feel like something that this pandemic is like spotlighting a lot is that, um, you know, we need all of these aspects of outlets and creative expression to function as people. So like, I don't know, can you speak to that at all as far as, as your, your humaning, your humaning experience and the ways you integrate your creative work into your like life work. How is it that you find comedy as a job being integrated with your motion through life as Kate? Um, no, I mean, I definitely <laughs> think that it helps to have your eye on like what's funny about a situation, right? Like it's, yeah. you know, like having like when you're going through something like shitty or inconvenient or like sometimes really upsetting, like it's nice to like be thinking like, okay, what is funny about this? Like how could I maybe make this funny? I don't know. It just, it helps a little bit with like the, the, the painful and irritating things. So I do think that that's one thing that is cool about being a comic, living your life. Yeah. That, I mean, like this podcast, we're trying to essentially like recognize that life is full of superficial bullshit right now. You know, we're being inundated with it. We're being inundated with bullshit constantly. And what, I feel like, I think what Sarah also feels like is that the medicine is just, like, being as real as possible. Like, fuck the illusion. Fuck this sort of posturing that we've been trained by capitalism and the patriarchy to do. And, like, let's jump into, like, what makes us real people and, like, why we do things, like, want to make people laugh. Like, why do I want to write songs about menstruation? Why yeah, do you totally. want to make <laughs> jokes about Bernie bros? Like, what is it? What are we doing here at all? And... I, I feel I really appreciate the way that you um, the way that, that you life while you joke. Oh, um, that's so nice of you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like one of the things I've always admired about you, you know, and it's um, it takes a lot of courage to do that right now in these times and to be so open and vulnerable. And like, 
I, first of all, I just want to appreciate the shit out of you for doing that. Oh, well, thank like, you very much. <laughs> yeah. And then also I kind of, I just want to add, like, what do you feel like gives you your, your inner power? Like when you, when you go to access, like the thing that keeps you going, like, how do you, what are some of your ways of accessing that? Cause I feel like these days we're all sort of struggling. We're all like, okay. How do I keep doing the thing? Does it make sense to do the thing? What do I do? And I guess I'm just, I'm curious. How do you keep doing doing the thing? Um, I definitely think that having routines, like, really helps. Like, I know for me, like, journaling every day in the morning really helps. Like, meditating a couple times a day. You know, um, that kind of stuff, like, kind of, like, practices to kind of put you in touch with yourself, that can really help, I think. Um, but also, like, spending time with, like, friends who are really supportive of your, you know, creative work. Um, and you, if maybe you feel the same way about them even better. You know, that's, that's important to have people to, like, th you know, get what you're up to and understand, you know, that what it's like to, to prioritize art instead of, you know, other things sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to keep that witch vibe high. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I know you've got to go soon. So I want to make sure, is there anything we haven't chatted about that and where can folks find you? We will make sure to put all those links. Oh, hold on. We might get a visit from little Pearl. She's jumping up here. Oh, uh, she ran away. So you can find me on Twitter at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And on Instagram, I'm Kate.Willett. And my book is called Dirtbag Anthropology on Audible. And my podcast is called Reply Guys. So you can find me any of those places. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for, for having me. <laughs> and for just continuing to be your amazing self in this world. I know you've, you've been through all the things and you're you're striding through and um like you're saying like one of the best things that we can do is keep finding inspiration from each other keep, keep you know being there and um and uh and reverberating off of each other in a way so uh yeah thanks for for reverberating so fucking hard yeah. oh thank you so much <laughs> Yeah, it was so great to meet you. It so was so great to meet you too. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. So, yeah. so great to talk conversations. To Comedy is not my first male-dominated industry. I used to work in tech in an office that was just me and 20 guys. The sexual harassment policy was just, hey, everybody, please leave Kate alone. <laughs> because a lot of people are not used to the idea of a female comedian, I will get trolled by these weird men who live in basements. And before you get mad at me, I just want to say that I'm sure that there are also some really great guys who live in basements. <laughs> Hashtag not all basement men. <laughs> Look, some of them do not hate women. They just hate windows. But the dudes who are trolling me are very misogynistic. They will say things like, yeah, women just want to take half your stuff. And I'm like, bro, there's way easier ways to get half a bag of Doritos.
Some of the guys who troll me are incels, which is short for involuntarily celibate. <laughs> These are men. No one wants to have sex with them, and they complain about it in internet forms, which, to be honest with you, I have also done. <laughs> when I was in high school, I had a very hard time coming out as bisexual to anyone except for these lesbians in an online chat room. So I would go in there and be like, hey, I'm a 15-year-old bisexual girl, and I'm super horny. And then they would just be like, get out of here, you disgusting old man. <laughs> the rise of the matriarchy let's talk about it and magic the matriarchy and magic in my opinion <laughs> one and the same yes <laughs> yeah I mean I think to me that's so much of why you know I've gotten into tarot or some of these more occult or hermetic or esoteric or whatever words you want to use to describe practices especially during the pandemic is I feel like it's helping me personally reclaim a more magical way of experiencing the world and I don't mean that in a cheesy hippie way I mean in a literal like going beyond the physical plane of reality like looking at the other layers that are existing out there and how we are interacting with those layers all the time and it isn't a new idea I mean these things are having a revival but this is like old knowledge that's the threads of which have gone through so many different cultures and you know all of those cultures are more or less like suppressed or violently wiped out of existence by the same motherfucking people so exactly the patriarchy destroys all powerful matriarchal magic alike um and not to say that you know the matriarchy is or a matriarchal culture is necessary to have like access to those layers like you're talking about but like the patriarchy is super against it, like any access to anything but, you know, what's on the surface and um, even limited access to that. It's all about limiting, limiting access. And I feel like the, um, you know, the intuitive world wants us to not limit ourselves or our perceptions at all. Yeah. And one phrase that I, I keep meaning to bring back into my vocabulary because I feel like it's even slightly more specific than patriarchy because I don't know if it's so much tied it's manifested as a tie to you know to gender but I think that it's dominator culture which is a phrase Terrence McKenna would use a lot to describe um you know his whole thing was about you know the history of psychedelics but um, I really like that that I feel like really specifically in some ways describes you know the energy that's going on when we're talking about patriarchal energies it's it is an energy of domination. It's an energy of materialism. It's an energy of asserting oneself over nature, over the spiritual world, over everything. And that's um, an energy that clearly is not doing us any favors <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. Right now, it feels like we're in sort of the final throes of dominator culture where and I really like that way of putting it because it is, it's, it's not just, it's not just, a, it's not a gendered thing necessarily. Um, and if we want to like evolve to, f to see and feel gender as a full spectrum, then yeah, you're right. Like creating this dichotomy of like gendered societies is not super helpful. Um, 
dominator and I guess what would be the opposite? Not passive, more of like the constructor or receptor, receptiveness culture. I don't know. Creative culture? Creativity culture. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the idea that dominator culture essentially is destruction culture. Yeah. Although I don't know, we, like, should we think about all destruction as bad? No, I don't think so. Yeah, some of um, it's necessary. Domination. Yeah, like everything in moderation. Domination in moderation, too. <laughs> I don't want anyone listening yeah. to think that we're anti-BDSM. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely dominate healthily <laughs> and with, with great happiness. <laughs> and with clear, safe words. <laughs> Yeah, consensual domination, I'm all for that, you know, but non-consensual domination, that's kind of where I draw the line. And I think we are evolving kind of past that, even just in the fact that we're having these conversations um, at all. Yeah. Not like we're, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's, um, I like seeing, you know, as much as, again, we talked about it being you know, there is sort of the, like, patriarchal genderedness of dominator culture, but I like seeing that I think more men are being able to step into, like, their receptivity and, like, their, the sacred masculine is a thing that, at least for me, I feel very strongly about wanting to heal and bring into the limelight and help men reclaim their power in the way that they, you know, also had taken from them when this bullshit yeah. came and told us we all fucking, I don't know, had to fucking live in an agrarian society and get married and make money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's interesting to see though the way that like the there are there are groups of, you know, men out there who are doing this sort of like conscious reclaiming of masculinity as, you know, and their feelings and such. And I've seen that, it, and in some cases, it seems like, you know, from the outside, it seems like a super healthy thing. But, like, as we were talking about, you know, the white liberal um, culture, you know, that Kate and I both spent a lot of time in, um, in the Bay, and, that I mean, she obviously gets a lot of, um, a lot of interaction with that kind of personality all the time, Um it's really, it's found a way to somehow, like, take that um, move toward receptivity culture and somehow, like, make it even more, it's so hard to describe. I don't want to, like, go into too, too much personal experience with this, but, you know, I have had... I've gotten to see the way some of the men who do some of that men's work actually act and the way they actually treat women and each other. And what it has translated to that I've seen is less of a move toward empathy and receptiveness and more of a move toward passive domination. That's interesting. Yeah. In some ways that I feel like it's an interesting, maybe imperfect analogy, but like talking about like the white feminism that we talked about with Kate, where it's sort of mm -hmm. is taking this idea of like empowering women, but it's just using it to recreate the same bullshit power structures, but with women at the top. It's like having more, you know, empathy. So like acting, knowing how to act with empathy men at the top of the same bullshit power structure is still going to create the same bullshit. 
So there's like, I think that's an interesting kind of parallel right there. That's a great parallel. (laughs) How much I appreciate Kate talking about that shit on Twitter, because as a woman that also like, I don't identify with a lot of contemporary feminism for the exact reasons Kate was saying. It's like Mm -hmm. this, I thought this project was about liberation, not about domination and not about, you know, Mm -hmm. telling poor people that they can fuck off and, you know, because we want like some rich white woman in power instead of a rich white man. It's like, okay, that's kind of not what I had signed up for. Mm -hmm. Or like in any, any woman in charge, like not even, you know, as we talked about, talked about the um, presence of Kamala Harris as vice president doesn't change the system that she is second from the top of. Um, It is, it just puts a different face on it. We, have the option now to stop recreating the same systems and the same structures. And I think that we're already doing it. I mean, when you look at the ways we speak about world issues these days, I feel like it's a much more like receptiveness culture type of conversation, like an inclusiveness conversation. Like, for example, Palestine... Um, you know, Palestine is every person, you know, every under this system that we've got going on, we are all Palestine, you know, not only because the Israeli defense forces train our police officers, um, but we literally are all, you know, connected to one another and a matriarchal or receptor culture, you know, a nurturer culture, maybe we could call it. A nurturer culture knows that that um, that we are all connected and that we need to take care of each other, and that the opposite of taking care of each other is what we're currently doing um, on a massive scale. But if we can flip that um, that uh, ratio, I don't know. Right now, we're we're operating with the sort of nurturer culture. And the under, the underbelly happened, not the underbelly, but it's like below the surface. And I feel like we're sort of emerging right now and pushing the, the rotting, (laughs) bloated corpse, (laughs) the bloated corpse of, of, um, of dominator culture is being pushed out now from the underneath. And it's exciting to watch, but it's also like really interesting to, to see how it, how it fights back. With its very limited Picturing resources. this giant cane coming off and, like, pulling Bill Clinton's bloated corpse off the stage. <laughs> For some reason, that was the wow. image that came to mind. Hey, why not? I had Dick Cheney's bloated corpse, and neither of them are dead yet, but both of them might as well be bloated corpses, as far as I can tell, for all the good they do. Both of them together. Um, yeah, a couple of things I thought uh, when you were talking just now... Um, I think one of the big things, whether we want to call it matriarchal culture, nurture culture, creative culture, whatever this kind of reemergence that's happening right now, is it allows us a tool set to see ourselves in the other. And that's really important work right now because, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's like you don't even need to say it too much, just point to like everything that's happening in this country around the world to see what happens when we don't see ourselves in the other, you know, or what's happening mm-hmm. in... Israel and Palestine, which is such a 
striking example with all, you know, historical sensitivity to the need for a Jewish state. I mean, to see folks that survived genocide turn around and commit genocide a couple generations later is really striking. And to me, says something really either very dark and depressing about humanity or just points to work that we really need to do. It's not enough mm-hmm. to just get into power. There has to be like an interrogation of the bigger structures that got us there, which is why I appreciate, you know, leftist critique as much as, you know, that's a broad range of opinions and ideas and imperfect in its own way. I still, the thing that to me separates leftists from liberals is leftists are actually looking at the underlying structures, whereas liberals just want the existing structures to look nicer. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's a really good way of putting it. I think it's it's hard for um, for a lot of us in this nation to process um, what change actually looks like versus what um, what. Uh, like a revamp looks like it's like <laughs> like we're calling for change and like we're getting rebranding right we're getting a reboot <laughs> yeah not even a reboot but a rebrand it's like let's take this that we've got we're gonna call the kids in the cages we're gonna call it we're gonna call those overflow detention facilities you know we're gonna call funding um other nations aggression um wherever they want. We're going to call that, um, uh, world affairs, you know, we're, <laughs> we're going to call that supporting, supporting the underdog or something, you know, like we, we have all kinds of like, you know, fighting terrorism, marketing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically like this, the U S if like, if all of the nations were divided into like skill sets, the U.S. would be like marketing. We would be like the marketing and PR people of the world. That's where you would go to get because that's what we do best. We don't do anything beneath the surface very well because we kind of don't have anything beneath the surface. What we have beneath the surface is genocide and slavery, and we really don't want to look at that. <laughs> so we're like freedom, justice, equality. <laughs> like, okay. This country when, will when did that happen? Never do its shadow work. It re- simply refuses to do shadow work. Yeah, it was, when you were saying that too, that's funny. All the people who spent the last, you know, the previous administrations, you know, citing George Orwell and you know, saying shit like nineteen eighty four is not an instruction manual. Well, now they're like letting the Biden administration be incredibly Orwellian, and I apologize for being another person who cites George Orwell. Poor George Orwell. Leave George Orwell alone. Like, <laughs> I mean, really, like, find someone else to justify your opinions. Says the person who just used George Orwell to justify their opinions. But, but whatever. Life is a state of constant paradox. Um, but yeah, it's really funny being like, well, how do you not see that as being the same thing you were just yelling about <laughs> like a year ago? Exactly. It's really interesting. It's like, well, when they're on my team, it's different. And I want to believe that the next generation coming up realizes that none of the politicians are on their team. Um, it's really all about who is getting paid by whom. And it, that is not a conspiracy theory. It's transparent. It's what's happening. So, 
<laughs> yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just saying it's not a it's not a conspiracy theory. It's something that we can all look at. So it would behoove us all to look at it and to like not be afraid, like you said, to look um, at well, to look in the mirror first of all, and to see like what we've actually what we've actually been as a nation, and then to um, to look at what we can do about it. And um, you know that just made me lose my entire train of thought thinking about all the things we need to do about it. So <laughs> everyone can start today by just trying to get in touch with their intuition and, you know, like, like our little tarot draw in the middle of Kate's interview said, you know, tap into that big wand energy. <laughs> yeah. Tap into the wands. Like we, we've, I think like another thing that we can, um, remember leaning into the big wand energy is, uh, is that wands are receptors as well as, you know, putter outers what's the word conductors (laughs) they're receptors as well as conductors you know um and we can use them to feel the to take the temperature of of our surroundings as much as to influence our surroundings i'm this is a note to self bt dubs like i'm i am of dominator culture i was conditioned by it you know both in reform school and in the military um and I've had to do a lot of unpacking to to really come to terms with the fact that the the deeper power has nothing to do with domination. Yeah. I mean, I've had to do that work too, so I feel like. Yeah. But you especially with your life path. We both came up in the U.S., and which is dominator culture in nation form. Imperial privilege. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all the things we've been talking about on this pod for the last almost year, like every yeah it's that's what this nation is that's why like everyone we talk to kind of touches on it in some way um and what we're what we're what what's giving me hope is knowing that like by talking about it we're we're taking some of its power away yeah i mean talking things into being there is a real power to that you know it's spell casting so hell yeah Let's cast some nurturing spells and be ready to receive. (laughs) All right. That seems like a good place to put a cork in it. Yeah, let's put a cork in it. And also let's real quick remind everyone listening in our What the Folk fam that we love them. (laughs) We love you, What the Folk fam. And we also would really, really appreciate if you would uh, rate us with five stars and follow us with the subscribey things and um, share us with your friends and your colleagues, whether or not you like them. Yes. Good karma will come to you. (laughs) Big wand energy heading your way. We got you. We got you, What the Folk fam. We heart you. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. (laughs) So I went and read some incel message boards, and the theme is like, yeah, no one likes me. No one wants to hang out with me. People cannot even stand being around me. So it sounds like the problem is obviously women. And their idea for a solution is to make it illegal for women to have sex with more than one man in our lifetime so that we will be redistributed. (laughs) 
No matter how sexually frustrated I have ever been, I have never thought about trying to solve it through a legislative process. <laughs> Thank you so much. What the Folk is co-produced and co-hosted by Sarah Baranowskis and Joy Damiani. Our guest on this episode has been Kate Willett and her comedy featured on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. You can find her at katewillett.com. You can find us at whatthefolkpod.com and wherever you found us already. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode when we'll talk about drugs and desire and passion and pleasure and all kinds of other fun things. Thanks so much for listening, as always. We love you.